Hey there, it's the pre-roll portion of the podcast, so you know what that means. It means that before we get into my chat with the fabulous Shamir, I'd like to direct your attention to patreon.com slash Friends, which, of course, is the place to go to support this show and get all them bonus episodes, including two freshly recorded movie clubs, Batman Returns with Joe Black, and Can't Stop the Music with noted bisexual and friend of the show, Gabby Dunn. If you're not familiar with Can't Stop the Music, it's the film that stars The Village People, Steve Gutenberg, and Caitlyn Jenner. There is quite a bit to get into with that film, and of course we do. For listener questions, we got a fresh one with Joe Black coming up, a Davina DeCampo episode, and many more. All of the social media information for the show is in the show notes, so Twitter, Instagram, Cameo, TikTok, etc. And if you would like to help save the legendary LA Queer Bar Precinct, find the link for that GoFundMe in the show notes as well. And of course, if you haven't yet subscribed on your podcast player, why are you depriving yourself? Hit that subscribe button, click the five stars, and rest easy knowing you're doing the Lord's work. Okay, now that we have that taken care of, let's get into my chat with Shamir. Make believe is not pretend. We might be ill, but we're on the mend. It never stops, it never ends. Welcome to Craig and Friends. Welcome to Craig and Friends. Welcome to Craig and Friends. Hi, how are you? Am I recording on my end as well? You know, you don't need to, but if you want to, that that's fine. Um, I can hear you great. Well, I'm using my good mic, so it should be fine. You sound fabulous as always, you know. Stop. I'm blushing. Well, okay. I'll just, so my computer won't run slow, I'll just record on my phone just in case. No, I love a backup. You know, a backup yeah. is the greatest thing. <laughs> like, even with the, the Zoom recording and the... Uh, the other, the, the what is this? I always forget what this thing is called. Oh, because you know why I forget what it's called? The device itself is called a Zoom, and then we're on a Zoom. So I'm like, well, oh, like, yeah, 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 the Zoom. And then the I'm Zoom. like, oh, that can't be, that can't be a Zoom as well. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I love those Zoom like field recorders. My baby is right here. This is like what I recorded Hope and Revelations and even one of my artists' EP on. So it has everything I need. It has like, drum machine oh i recorded a lot of bde here comes the hot on this too as well so oh wow cool and what what make is that because i have a like a, a task cam it's zoom. And digital. Is it zoom? oh that's yeah, a zoom, zoom as well oh i didn't know yeah. that look that's right there you can't really see it but wow yeah. zoom is like the best company then <laughs> it's good it's good stuff or you, you can see the zoom right here it's so oh, old yeah um, yeah okay yeah it's so old that it burns the cd so like i just <laughs> i just I just rip from the ends and the master. So, yeah. Um, and then I just like rip it into my PreSonus interface. Okay, sure. And yeah, that's what I do. Sometimes I record directly into my interface into Ableton. I've been getting better ever since I got, because I find obviously, as you can see, I finally got a computer last summer, but you really, you didn't have a computer before that. No, never. We just on your phone for all, you know, emails, et cetera. Uh, Exactly. On my phone, I had a tablet as well. Oh, but okay, even then, okay. yeah, I'm yeah. taking baby steps because yeah. even my computer is a glorified tablet. I have the Microsoft Surface. So so all of the stuff was done on uh, hard disk recorders. I love that. What's the maximum of tracks that you have used with the portable recorders? Like eight or 16? Or? Yeah. So this one only has eight. Yeah. But still, you yeah. know, it's how you use it and everything, right? It's all about the mix. Yeah, it is exactly. <laughs> you know, I, that's why I like to keep things minimal. I mean, even even my stuff now, you know, it's more produced. Um, it's I still keep it minimal. Like, there's probably there's definitely no more than than eight tracks. There's, well, it's probably a little over eight. It's probably like twelve tracks on Paranoia, which is probably the song that have like the least tracks in the song sure. on on the record. Yeah, but all of them, I'm sure, have under fifty tracks altogether. Like, I don't really like to layer. Sure, because a, a common thing that happens nowadays is that people are just like, well, we'll throw this on, we'll throw this on, because you can add infinite numbers, and then that yeah. only creates complications later on. But I, I suppose that also helps with how productive you are uh, in terms of the turnaround time, because you know, you're know you quite young and you have a phenomenally huge discography. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah, exactly. I, yeah, I, I think... Um, everything is in the performance for me. It has a very like live feel. Um, so yeah, I don't need to layer as much, or at least I don't feel like it. And then I've learned this on my own merits, how to like mix things, um, in a minimal way. Like, yeah, 
when this, so this record was mixed, the self-titled was mixed, um, remotely in the UK. So a lot of it was back and forth email, but like the, the guy who mixed it, Justin, you know, he's amazing at what he does and like his shop and everything. And I had minimal notes for like everything, but like for paranoia, which had the least tracks, I, it's, it probably was the most guidance that I had to give him because I was just like, okay, so this is how you mix a song with like basically no tracks. I was like, you got to pay him this, like this and that and that. And then he was like, oh, and it turned out amazing, obviously. But yeah, it's just, I, it's funny how I, my skill is like mixing. Um, very few tracks and like mixing like minimal tracks. When you first started in your career, you obviously before your first major release, you know, you were making tons of music from a very young age, but then you had a big, big hit, but then you sort of went away from the process that was involved in that. Well, cause it wasn't my process. You know, I, I felt, I felt like my debut was more of like a collaboration album, with like a producer. You know what I mean? But it definitely wasn't, it didn't feel like a representation of like me as an artist or like right. how I would have produced it had I been more in the front seat of the production. I mean, I wrote everything, but like I had basically no hands in the production. It's not the easiest thing for to say, well, there's a lot of obvious uh, commercial success here, but I'm a little uncomfortable. I'm going to yeah. pull back and uh, reshape things. So that's an admirable thing, especially to do it so young. Yeah. I mean, it was beginning to not be fun. Sure. And why, like, if I'm going to do music full time, it's like my job and have it feel like a job and have it not be fun then I'd rather not do music at all and work a normal job. When you say it started to not be fun, was it starting to get depressing? Yeah, I was very depressed. I was very depressed. I um, did not function. I was sad because I was so young. And like it was such a time where most people are finding themselves and I didn't have time to find myself. I was just like just writing away. Yeah. And when when it started to go down, it's just like here I am like who am i basically like i knew who i was but once everything kind of came down i started to see the clear line between of like how i had been presented the last two years and like how i actually feel sure and and the dissonance between the two it was a dissonance it yeah. was at least at least between the artist that was presented as Shamir and how I felt as the artist Shamir. Sure. Like I felt like myself in a personal way, like, but, um, but yeah, how I view myself as an artist. And I think that's still such a huge part of me, you know? Mm, sure. Um, and I wanted me as an artist and my artistry to be represented in a way how I always saw myself and how I viewed it and how I always wanted to see myself as well. Like growing up, you know, you can ask my mom when I was younger, I used to go up to people and tell them that I was a rock star, you know? Yeah. Um, I didn't grow up, you know, wanting to be an electro pop star, you know? <laughs> um, I thought I would either be a rock star or a country star or somewhere in between. You're a fellow fan of The, uh, the Who, right? Oh, The Who, yes, 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 yes. So, yeah, The Who was the first, I think the first rock album that I got, the first two pop albums that I ever got was A. Marie's debut, I believe, and then um, and then Outcast. And I got those sometime between kindergarten and second grade. And it was until third grade where I was like presented the Who. I saw like on like one of those like time life commercials because I was, I've always been such a, um, an insomniac and you know back then at night when you're watching tv the only thing that's on at like two three in the morning is those you know <laughs> those infomercial commercials. things yeah yeah, the infomercials. <laughs> yeah but i was just like oh the who is it like yeah. these guys are it and yeah i was like mom we gotta go get uh, the a who cd and i got the who greatest hits and that record just oh blew my mind me and my me and my cousin my mom's twin son who, yeah. so he's like basically like a brother to me we yeah we were just put it on and just sit around and just like our minds will be blown. You just be like, this is so good. Around what age did you start playing? Cause I know basically music has been an essential piece of your life in all <laughs> ways from almost the beginning. 
from the beginning. Yeah, from the beginning. So like I got it early in on the songwriting process for as early as I can remember because my aunt, my mom's twin, yeah. wrote music. Um, she's a lyricist and a poet. And then she befriended a bunch of musicians around Vegas and they will haul up into her bedroom and record in her bedroom. She had a bedroom recording setup even in the early 2000s um, and like late 90s around that time. And so, yeah, so I would just, you know, beg to sneak in. And I'd yeah. be like, I'll be quiet. And, you know, they'll let me watch them. Um, and then I got my, I started singing at eight, got mm-hmm. my first guitar at nine. It's a good progression. Yeah, I've been writing ever since. Yeah. And yeah, taught myself everything. Right. That's another impressive thing, too. And I guess that also makes sense why then later on it's like, wait a second, this isn't sort of how I imagined it, you know, when you when you did reframe everything for yourself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think anyone who knew me personally was just like, it was only a matter of time before she did a snap, <laughs> you know, um, especially like my old bandmate, uh, Christina, who's like in my high school band would be like, I remember the first time I came back from Brooklyn after recording my debut, um, I guess I had like this glossy uh, <laughs> dead in my eye. Um, That's always fun. We always love yeah, that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I remember we used to like chilling and she like puts her hand on my shoulder and she goes, are you okay? And I'm like, am I? Like, <laughs> that was the first time I, anyone had ever saw like the change within me you know where i guess it was like already in those beginning stages even if i wasn't aware of it there was already some kind of internal battle and struggle right not only do i feel like she's a musical soulmate of mine now but it's just like you know we know both of each other like i feel like i could you know since same thing within her um and it's really important for me to kind of like keep those people around me because yeah. I don't even think I would be here today had I not, you know, we've been friends since we were 14, 15 and still going strong today. And I just couldn't imagine my life without her. And like, you know, a lot of people when they're in my situation, you know, they start to get, you know, really glittery, famous, famous, shiny friends, you know, and then start to abandon their older ones. And like, I never did that. Like, my absolute best friend since eighth grade, like I, we still talk to each other every day. We have not not talked to each other every day in the past. God knows how many years. Right. And I always kept all my day ones really close to me. And I think that has been a testament to me still keeping myself and keeping my head and like still having a good relationship and like who I am and like why I never changed and stay true to who I am. So I want to talk a little bit about uh, dealing with uh, bipolar or mm-hmm. finding out when you were bipolar. Mm-hmm. When were you made aware of that? Um, 2017. Mm-hmm. So I was in the hills of like a t- two to three week panic episode. And it was like the first time that I really had like experienced like mania, at least that intensely. Yeah. Um, which then... Um, which then uh, progressed into a full-blown psychotic episode um, where it's just, you know, just completely blacked out. Like sure. the whole the next thing I knew, I just woke up in hospital. Wow. Okay. Um, and had, had it ever presented before? In small ways, in small ways, but like never, never that intensely. I actually knew before I had, the major episode that there was something going on. And I was like, actually um, like seeking therapy or like some, some kind of help beforehand, but then, you know, your schedule gets crazy and then you, you put it off, you put it off, you put it off, you know? Also when you're kind of obsessed by your work and it's, a, that's, mm-hmm. that's a piece of your identity, really. It's easy to just focus on that because, you know, we love a workaholism uh, tear when we're not sure quite what's going on in the back. And, you know, America is so, like, you know, our relationship with work is so toxic and, yeah. um, and you know, so many other places put mental health before work. And that's definitely something since my diagnosis that I've, you know, do and, like, try to be cognizant about. But, yeah, so that was back in 2017. Um, I spent a week in the hospital. Yeah, when I was released, I started to do therapy, regular therapy. Yeah. And then also my relationship with music changed in a lot of way where if it became a form of therapy for me as well. And I kind of like restructured 
what making music was for me. And I think that's how I became so much more prolific because music began being completely cathartic and really nothing more Mm -hmm. for me. I just stopped creating in the sense of like me as an artist and just like started creating to find my voice. So it's almost like a part of your daily routine. It always kind of had been, but I think I had to restructure it like um, consciously restructure it for myself. You know what I mean? How did that uh, take effect in terms of the practical things, like in terms of like schedule or the way that you structured your day? Well, I mean, my days are free flow. That's always going to be the case, you know? Well, good, Uh, me too. (laughs) Yeah. But, um, but like, you know, I, one major thing that I do that a lot of my contemporaries don't do, but I just like absolutely made the, conscious decision to do even before my diagnosis because like I knew I needed to for my mental health but like definitely after my diagnosis I continue it is um taking a year break between major tour which is so like uh, not the standard right it's just usually like album tour album tour cycle I was actually shocked to find out that most of my contemporaries after talking to them and asking them questions don't take more before this year obviously didn't take more than like a month to two months off per year on touring. Right, right. Couldn't be me. Couldn't be me. I know myself. Well, it grinds you down. Grinds you down. And I think that's also been a part of like not only my productivity, but also the preserving of my voice and my health. And like that to me is what, you know, creates a, a long-lasting career, you know? Sure. I think of myself and, and my career, my music as a whole, you know? Yeah. Um, I'm not just going, 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 riding a wave because I did that once and I burnt <laughs> out so quickly. And I think a lot of artists have a lot more endurance than I did. And so they continue riding this wave for years until they burn out at the last minute. And, um, and we've seen that happen so many times. And even people, the way that I've structured my career now, like... I was like, this is impractical. <laughs> You're never going to make money, which is true. But <laughs> I have a longer career. I have a longer and a healthier and sturdier career. Here I am seven years later. People didn't think I would still be. I didn't even think I would still be here. But I'm here, not only here and standing, but stronger and better than ever. Right. And we don't see that that much these days because they just keep pushing and pushing and pushing artists until there's no more and then they're on to the next. Would you mind describing what happened before you did the reframing? After the debut, um, you know, I was with XL. And um, and by the way, I hope you don't mind. I don't, then, I don't want you to feel like we're dwelling on that, just that one time period as well. No, 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 okay, no, good, no I think it's really, you know, I, I think from the beginning, it was always important for me to talk about that because a lot of people don't want to, you know, and I think... And, you know, I have no problem talking about it. Actually, Excel reached out to me this summer and we had a very sobering conversation um, about a lot of things. And, you know, basically from their perspective, it was bad communication with management, which I heard from multiple people, not even people that worked with the label, you know, but, and I was having a bad time with the management at that time. That horrible thing we were afterwards, they're like, I, I didn't want to tell you, but they were... Yeah, exactly. All of that, you know? Um, so I completely understood that, but also at the same time, and you know, they know this and I told them this as well, you know, there was basically up until we talked this, this summer, there was no clearing up. You know, there was no personal email to me, you know, after I found out that I was dropped through management because I was still with the management even after I was dropped um, against my better judgment. I just found out through management. So there was like no note, no email, no, you know, I just find out through management and like, that's it, you know. Which is pretty tough, really. It's really tough. Yeah. Even if you have an adversarial relationship with them. Well, because I didn't. It was my management. So I, you know, who's out in the, you know thinking that the relationship was fine and then just hear this out of nowhere i'm like is it me you know i feel rejected you know right and that's a hard thing to deal with rejection did you ever have a feeling of like oh my god is this all going away never i mean i didn't care i never i never wanted to be that successful (laughs) anyways it was all a fluke to me sure you know and just like i said i was just writing away it was all a fluke to me actually i felt a weird sense of relief when i found out that i was dropped because i was like 
actually felt more empowered because I'm like, now I can do whatever I want. <laughs> sure. Absolutely whatever I want, you know? And I think had I not been dropped, I probably still would be with the horrible management. I'd probably still be fighting. I'd probably still be like in this weird stagnant position. I think once I was not under a contract and I was a completely free agent, I'm like, I'm doing whatever I want by yeah. any means necessary. And that's what happened. And then kind of everything else fell off because it was like, he's going downhill fast and yeah. we're, we're going to jump ship. Yeah. And, <laughs> they can't have it forever. Yeah. So, you know, I find myself eventually, you know, at a point straight out of the mental hospital, no management, no nothing. All I have is the music. So mm-hmm. I just did that. I think it's a really inspiring story. Your story. Yeah. It's, it, and it's, it's inspiring to me after the fact when I'm not, you know, after all the BS that I've gone through, you know. That's the best. When you can look back at, at a time period that, you know, immediately after you think, Ooh, I hope no one knows about that. Or, you know, I don't want to talk about that. And then you realize, wait mm-hmm. a second, I, I got through that and I persevered. So good for me. Yeah. I always just want to make myself proud above all, because yeah. if I'm making myself proud, then I know I'm doing something good in the world because, you know, especially being black and non-binary and queer, you know, we're already put in so many boxes and perceived in such a specific way. And also just growing up and seeing if any representations of myself, them having having those representations be very one-dimensional. Sure. You know, if if fully realized at all. Um and so I want to be that as much as possible. So it's really important for me to be as authentic and eccentric in this three-dimensional as not even just trying to be, but as I am myself. Yeah, you want to be the most you as possible. Yeah, because I think even within the queer community, you know, they we kind of set up specific rules for like ourselves as well because sure. of like how we've been depicted as very one-dimensional in the media, you know, and yeah. that kind of gets, you know, put into our head. So it's really important for me to just just be myself as much as possible and not necessarily feel like I have to fit in to anything. Um, so other queer people, you know, can feel like that we're not a monolith and that, you know, we, we don't have to fit into anything, but we also can feel supported in community. Totally. When was it your first uh, dating experience? Actually, you know, well, kind of later in life, I guess, I, I guess I'll go all the way back to like third grade. I guess that's like the first time where my first like little girlfriend. And then I also dated a girl in high school, but very, very, very briefly. Truth be told, I was so hell-bent on being an artist that I wasn't even, like, experimental, like, or even, like, really dated or even cared to, like, my peers. You know, when my peers were, like, dating and, like, going off and, like, you know, uh, fully succumbing to their hormones, <laughs> um, I was trying to like really perfect my craft. So yeah. my real dating experience didn't happen to like much later around the time once I started touring and just seeing and seeing the world. Um, cause I was still fairly young, you know, I was like 19. Right. So I would say like my first like proper, like non adolescent date wasn't until I was like 20. In France. Oh, in France. That listen. That's if you're gonna have a uh, a first date. It was it was like something out of a uh, rom com. <laughs> what was the scenario? Tell me. I, I gotta know. You want You're gonna be like, this is fake. <laughs> like this is a Wattpad. Like, well, that'll be the know, headline. Story. Shamir lies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, um, I was 20, and I had met this French man a few days before. He was managing this French artist that who uh, whose green room I had snuck into because it was empty, and the green room had a window. And this is when I was still smoking cigarettes. I was like, nobody's in here yet, so I'm gonna sneak in yeah. and smoke out out of the window. And I sat <laughs> in in the windowsill. Yeah, this very tall and handsome man comes in, and I'm just like oh my God, I'm sorry, are you like the artist? And he was like, no, I'm not the artist. Like, I'm like the artist manager. And I was like, okay, like, give me two seconds. I'm <laughs> almost done with the cigarette. I'll be out of your hair. So sorry, you know? Yeah, yeah. But then he kind of just like 
kept on lingering and like I I thought I don't know what he I was actually kind of scared because like you know he had an accent I don't really know what he was saying I didn't know if he wanted to kill me or not or if he was angry <laughs> but it turns out that he was like flirting you know he kept coming to my room and everything we were flirting all night and then basically you know I was like oh, I'm playing Paris like in a few days and then he lived in Paris because this was like a different town outside of Paris in France um and then so when I was in Paris we linked up and had a date and like we had drinks and then we met up with Tobias Chessel Jr. who happened to be in Paris as well and chilled with Tobias Chessel Jr. and had like dinner and just wandered around Paris and it was like very it was very wild yeah Um, well it's quite a scene right like especially your first was it your first time in Paris no, I think I have been a few other times. Oh, okay. Actually, yeah, I did. I had been a few other times because, yeah, I mean, I actually, France was like my biggest market aside from America at that point. Okay. Yeah. So you were doing a yeah. lot of stuff in France. Yeah. I did a lot of uh, national television out there. I was like on like three different shows. So at the time, uh, I was like the anti Stromae. <laughs> <laughs> so they was just like, oh, he's like Stromae. We love him, you know? <laughs> uh, so yeah, so that's that's I think that's w- what was going on with that. But um, but yeah, but you know that was like really short lived because again, I was I'm I'm a Capricorn Moon. What's that like? I work, you know. I was just like very work oriented, and I was just like, listen, I'm at the beginning of my career, and like you know, I was 20, he was like 32, 33, like much older, and I was just like, yo, like I'm really just out here, like you need. To find someone who's actually trying to settle down and yeah. like you know, <laughs> right, sure. do 32 year old shit. It's not me, you know, it's not yeah. gonna be me, yeah. So, um, but we're still friends, I love him. I'm we, I saw him when I was out in Paris two years ago when I was touring. You see each other whenever we talk, you know, check in, it's great. Well, that's the way to do it, and that's a nice thing too about queer relationships in, in general. I find that there's more of an understanding. Know. Really? No, no, okay, no, not maybe for me. I'm wrong. Not for well, not for me because he's he's probably the only like ex that I still friends with or associate with. I'm like, once I'm done, I'm done. What's the usual span of time? Do you find that you have like a six month and I'm done kind of thing with relationships, or um, is it more dependent six on six months? Person? So that was my last kind of like relationship situation. It was like the longest ever, and that was like nine months. Like I don't date. I don't go out. I don't date. I'm very, just like I said, just like very career oriented. And I've heard you say before that you're an introvert as well. I'm an introvert, you know, and generally, you know, much like the first date situation, like I just find myself, you know, in these situations, I'm not looking. And it was very similar with the last person I was saying. And basically that kind of like ended because he moved to Europe actually. So it was just kind of just like one of those things. But yeah, other than that, I've never been in a situation longer than a few months. You know, whatever works for you is what works. You know what I mean? I'm such an introvert. And I just like, I really feel the most powerful when I'm alone and by myself. Again, a lot of that Capricorn energy. Um, Like, I have a lot more satisfaction, the extra space that I have when I'm alone. Yeah. To like basically plot world domination that I do when I'm like having experiences with other people. It's easier in a quiet room to do that. Exactly. No, very that. You yeah. know, I think even me living across the country from my family even plays a part in that. I knew I couldn't, I would not be able to do what I'm doing now if I was still in close proximity with my family, honestly. And like, I love them to death. And I know that sounds so fucked up to a lot of people, but <laughs> I'm just the type of person I am. I'm sorry. Like, but I know that's about myself. And also, you can have the best relationship with your family that ever was heard of, but you really spend more than four days with them after you've like been living on your own. Say you're back in the house, it's like a whole different thing. So do you think it's something like that? It's yeah. more like you need to know what works for you in terms of how you, uh, the distance that is needed with family. Yeah. I mean, but this any, but this anything that I'm close to, and I think that's why relationships will be hard for me because I'm, I'm very of the, of the, you know, you love something, you got to set it free type of mind. And like, while I'm actually very easy to get along with and like have no problem um, being in close proximity with someone, I think the people that I love the most are the ones that I have a healthy proximity to are some of my lasting, longest lasting relationships. Sure. And maybe the ones that are like are 
have been in closer proximity has like lasted. And like, that's just been by chance. I don't necessarily think it's me. Cause like, there's been times like, I'll say like my artist and one of my closest friends, Paige, she's one of the artists under my label who performs at Southwick. But like, as soon as we started to become close, she actually moved from Philly to Ohio. Yeah. All of my closest relationships just end up kind of having this natural distance, even against my will. Of course, you know, when you can maintain a friendship, when you don't see the person sometimes for months and months and months, of course, I mean, not counting this year, let's outside of this year. Yeah. It's a testament to the strength of the friendship. And then when you meet up again, it's like no time has passed, really. Mm-hmm. Well, because we still, you know, text and call and, you know, do all of that. Just like I said, like I talk to my best friend every day and we're all connected. Well, connecting. Yeah. That's the great thing about the internet as well. So didn't Tumblr play a part in the launch of your career? Yeah. Yeah, I would say like my my first band in high school, we got a lot of love from Tumblr. That's how we were able to like go to South by while we were still in high school, which eventually led us to being in a local paper and yeah. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What do you find yourself frittering away the most time on when you're just like sort of in a, in a wormhole? YouTube. I really became big on YouTube because my first management team, one of their partners, worked with YouTube people, like YouTube famous people and internet people, but specifically yeah. YouTube people. Yeah. Um, and she got me into it. And, you know, at that point, I kind of like, this was 2015, 2016. And at that point... You know, I think that's when a lot of people were kind of like waking up to YouTube. It's like almost kind of like its own like streaming thing, almost like Netflix or something, you know, like a real viable like um, internet op- or uh, entertainment option and like totally independent of anything else. It's its own. Yeah, yeah. 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 And not just like, you know, dumb videos that you share with your friends or like music <laughs> videos, you know? Totally. Yeah. Right now, one of my favorites is like Bailey Sarian. Who does like the true crime stories while she does her makeup? Like, oh, I love that combo of premise. Yeah. So I'm gonna have to check that out. Bailey Sarian, um, Kelly Stamps, she's been killing it right now. D'Angelo Wallace, who has shown love for my music as well, he's killing it right now. He has like millions of subscribers. Cat Black, who's an amazing trans YouTuber, who's also shown love to my work as well. Um, so I kind of also have like relationships with YouTubers as well, because even before I really got into it back in like 2015, 2016, another friend of mine from Las Vegas, Miles J was already doing his thing on YouTube before that when we were still in high school and it was just like, oh, this person from Vegas is like getting all these views on YouTube. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I always had like, yeah, relationships with YouTubers, which is funny. And it's funny because it's so akin to the DIY nature of four tracking eight track you know what i mean it's the same exactly. principle really it really is yeah we have the means of production you know mm-hmm. and so it's 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 all a matter of like what do you want to do with it which is fantastic and like you know now with tiktok too we see a lot more mm-hmm. of people's lives that we didn't see before and also another layer of protection in terms of um you know insecurity or about being perceived a negative way i feel is is just washed away particularly in this year if there's any advantage to this year or positive is that there's a little bit more nakedness that people present mm-hmm. their mental state yeah because we all struggle <laughs> like oh, absolutely you know? <laughs> ain't nobody safe no <laughs> it's true and everyone's dealing with something yeah i want to s- get your thoughts on um optimism because i feel the sense that you know this time next year we're all going to be in a much lighter place and it's yeah. and, and what do you think about that yeah, yeah. I hope so. I think, you know, I'm a type of person that has like literally seen the end <laughs> um, <laughs> before me so many times sure. that I'm not scared of it. When you say the end, do you mean that you felt that you might die or were you, did you feel suicidal? Um, Kind of both of those. I mean, in the, in the midst of my psychotic episode, again, like just from like flashes and like what I've been told, I was really close to really severely harming myself. But 
to my own consciousness, I'd never been um, suicidal. Yeah. But so, yeah, that, but also just, you know, after that and like seeing what I thought could potentially be the end of my career. Sure. And yeah. see what could potentially be the end of my life and seeing what could potentially be the end of friendships and bridges. And, you know, yeah. Um, I've had so many endings and, and ends um, in situations where I never thought I could bounce back from so many times within the last like five years that um, I think my optimism lies in the fact that I'm still here. Which sure. is completely miraculous to me. Completely miraculous to me. So I'm like, if I can survive and I'm still here, we all can do it. <laughs> you know? Exactly. And it's it's like it's just more proof. Granted, we've never been through something like this before. Yeah. We've been through some shit. Yeah. And we got through it and we're here now. So we're gonna keep going and get through it. Yeah, because that's all you can do. You know, um the future is not guaranteed at all. Sure. And even if you know, let's say everything and it's tomorrow, like the meteor just, you know, fucking cave and, uh, and did us like the dinosaurs, you know, you don't want to spend your, you know, that last bit of time feeling down, feeling pessimistic, feeling not good, you know, right. I'd rather, you know, like Britney Spears dances to the world and like, I'd, yeah. I'd rather, you know, live it up until it's over, you know, so sure. it's not even worth you know, even if it was ending, it's not worth um, agonizing living over. in that field and agonizing over. Exactly. Right. Um, agonizing over it. So, yeah. What kind of movies have you watched lately? Or is there any movie that you loved a lot as a kid? I don't really watch movies. I watched a lot of TV. I just finished Girlfriends, which was definitely like reminiscent of like when I was younger. Yeah. Um, And it was like really funny to like kind of like relive those episodes that I kind of like only kind of, you know, remember from childhood. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I finished all the girlfriends recently. Um, but yeah, I watch a lot of TV. Mm-hmm. Um, especially because you know I used to write a TV column last year. Oh, tell me I about saw. that. Tell me about that. I actually didn't know that. Yeah, I wrote a TV column for Talk House, and yeah, I wrote a monthly TV column just about something that I loved and watched. Sure. And I wrote. Well, clearly, we talked about the infomercials before. I mean, it started young. Exactly. Um, yeah, and I wrote between a. A thousand, fifteen hundred words each month about comedy specials and TV shows and just anything that I liked on streaming. And I tried to diversify it between like Hulu and um, HBO and, and and Netflix and everything. Yeah. Um, and I wanted to continue it, but I knew this year was going to be crazy. I didn't think it was going to be as crazy as it was, but I knew that like, you know, I was planning on touring again this year. <laughs> right. And uh, and I knew that I was releasing another album and everything. So, um, but it was going to be a different kind of crazy. You thought a different kind of crazy, but definitely, but still, like in a lot of ways, it's still like I didn't think this record or on my own when I first released it was going to do what it did. Yeah, and everything took me by surprise. Like uh-huh. even then, I was not anticipating this level of work and this level of popularity. Sure, the record. Or, you know, being on Whimsically Volatile. You didn't you didn't know that was coming. <laughs> no, I didn't. I didn't. Seriously. Like, every single press that I've been getting is just it's been insane, you know, because, like, I was in, I mean, I always get consistent press, but I haven't, mm-hmm. you know, been getting this level of press since Ratchet. So. Sure. Well, that's lovely, though, especially with the, the arc of the story. And yeah. given the world situation, which is another, a good example of, even though things might seem dire, particularly right now with the world, you never know what kind of bright thing is going to pop up. Yeah, of course. And yeah. again, it goes back to just like, you know, I'm still here. So, right. you know, I'm so optimistic enough to like be confident in, in what I do, which is like I was, like I was confident in this record. Sure. But, but still, you know, I guess I have enough pessimism where still a nice surprise, you know cautiously optimistic or something like that yeah or, yeah, yeah i so i call myself um uh optimistic pessimist that's how i describe myself yeah that's a good yeah. one i like that it's got a snap to it too did you grow up very religious kind of yeah at the very 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 beginning up until like third no up until like well up until kind of like third grade and then i i tried to be a little religious in, in middle school 
Uh-huh. And then I was just like, absolutely not. And then, so yeah, I'm, by like sixth grade, I was like, yeah, no, I'm a full on demon. <laughs> it's funny too, with religion, sometimes there's things where you're like, what? You can't be serious. You know, they're just like, you know, what? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I just think I'm just, I think uh, I couldn't be religious because like, um, I've always had this, this like deep, I guess, confidence and just like my own instincts. Sure. Um, my instincts have never steered me wrong. I mean, even like, look how I run my career. Right. You know? Right. Um, so it's hard for me to follow any guidelines <laughs> in general. Right. It's true. And also, once you get like used to the thing of like, oh, you know, the last time I felt this weird feeling and I paid attention to it and I did the thing that I thought I should do to make this bad feeling go away, it worked out pretty well. Yeah. And there's lots of truth in religion too. Like I don't, I'm not going to say her neck. Like you know, I don't, I don't, I don't. I I have a lot of higher power beliefs and sure. Um, and I I don't advise anyone to not you know believe in something. Yeah. And and a lot of us maybe believe in stuff uh, in a more spiritual sense without a specific um brand, let's say, of religion, like uh, the universe or exactly something like that. Yeah. Yeah. And you mentioned school, though. So, what was school life like for you? School was chill. I was actually fairly popular, but for my fashion, not for my music. No one really liked or got my music. I was one about stress by senior superlative in high school and actually beat out this the senior class president for best dress, um, which I didn't think was going to happen. I was just like, first of all, when I was nominated for best dress, I was like a little salty because like, I mean, <laughs> yes, I put a lot of work into like how I looked and like my style, but also I was just really, I really thought that I was going to get most musical. And it's like, yeah, <laughs> right. I'm a musician. Right. Like y'all, yeah. like I just got back from South by Southwest. What the fuck? Like, <laughs> right. you know, yeah, exactly. Like, yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, they, they hired us to do things. They brought us in. Like, yeah. what? Like, yeah, I know. I know, uh, I know. I know. Sam did a nice rendition at the talent show, but I mean, hey, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. That was, it was like, you know, the girl with like the big voice. I'm like, I know she's a big voice, but like, y'all, like I'm actually like professionally. Okay, right. whatever. Anyway. But she sang a Celine Dion song. I, I write songs. Yeah. I don't know what. Yeah. You, yeah. <laughs> very that. Very that. Um, but I was just like, okay, whatever. Like, I'll take it because uh, I do care about you know my style and fashion. Sure. And and so yeah, I got best dressed. I was relatively known for my outfits. That was pretty much the the base of my popularity. People, I treated school like a fucking runway. Um, <laughs> That's the way to do it. Actually, that is the way to do it, isn't it? Yeah, but no one really like. I want to say I was popular in the sense that like I was friends with everybody. I think. Um, you know, I talked to the same like three people. Um, I didn't really, again, you know, I was, I am introvert. You know, sure, yeah, but you moved through it smoothly, and there was it was a decent uh, there was a decent path that you cut out with your own distinctive swath. Yeah, people people respected me, but also like, you know, I I was scrapping. No one's gonna fight me though. Like, yeah. <laughs> I spent a lot of middle school like telling people it's like you could try to make fun of me, but you can't fight me though. Uh-huh. Um, I almost switched. <laughs> I almost I almost went to opportunity school, but that's a whole another story. What school? Um, I'm sorry. You're... Opportunity school. What's that? What's opportunity school? It's like reform school. It's like where they take the bad kids. What an yeah. interesting name. Opportunity. I had school one for... strike. I had one strike <laughs> against me, uh, and then I was gonna go, uh, and I was like, I'm not that tough. So <laughs> you're like, I'll calm down, right? Yeah. Is that? <laughs> So you you got you mixed it up a little bit with some people. There was a few fights that led to possibly. Oh yeah, yeah. No, I yeah I I didn't care. I was just like, my because like, so the thing is, is my mom. Uh, I guess she was just like I have a, a very infeminate queer child, um, and uh, he's gonna have a hard time. Uh-huh. So I'm gonna put him in karate. Oh yes, I love this. So I was I was a self defense karate from like I think like. For like a whole year from like third grade to like fourth grade. And um I was really good at it. I liked it. Um I was actually like point I went up to Purple Belt, um, which is like a few away from black. I was mm-hmm. so close, but um but I got lazy. Uh, I got lazy and I wanted to switch to tennis. That's what happened. I did tennis a little bit and then uh-huh. I was done with that as well. But well, it's still good for but, the arm though, if you gotta get into a scrap. Like your arm is still gonna be oh, like, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Like, <laughs> you know. Uh, and uh but yeah, I I was really good at it. Like the the teacher um 
one time like singled me out and like we had a one-on-one spar and like um and yeah i I really liked it it's kind of like a dance almost as well Mm -hmm. um i i was thinking about getting back into it um yeah not too long ago it's just a nice little exercise it's fun and i like it so yeah it's like a way to sort of exercise without exercising you know what i mean exactly Be- yeah. and that's, i'm the type of person because what i was doing before the pandemic was um spin class i love i love my spin class i used to play drums a lot i don't really play it much anymore but mm-hmm. that's such a great cardio workout it is it really is yeah yeah and so i'm thinking about getting an electronic kit for the apartment mm-hmm. because you know it's basically the same thing and now they make yeah. them so they're not like they don't break your hand when you hit them and they sound and they sound good i used an electronic kit on one of the songs on the record yeah, I love the sounds on the record too. And as a drummer too, I always love uh that I really appreciated the drum sounds all over the, yeah, the thing. I, my pleasure. Yeah. <laughs> you love to cook, right? I love to cook. Specifically gluten free stuff. I'm gluten intolerant. So When did you figure that out too? Because that's not sometimes the easiest thing yeah. to figure out. Um like around middle school. I I had digestive issues my entire life and for the longest everyone thought it was lactose intolerance. Because that's typically normal for African Americans and, and and black families, um, as far as intolerances go. Uh-huh. They find out about the gluten intolerance, and I'm like, okay, I did, at this point, I don't even know what gluten is. You know, this was like way before it was even like a craze, or like even before gluten free stuff was as accessible as it is now. Like, yeah. When I was eating gluten free, like you straight up were like bread was cardboard. Like, you know, like <laughs> yeah, yeah. the gluten-free options that we have now, it, I just, I feel so blessed. Like, because uh-huh. um, at the beginning, it was dark and hard. Yeah. <laughs> um, I can imagine, yeah. And basically, um, you know, I did a little research in the family tree, which, I mean, I should have known, you know, with a last name like Bailey, but like, even then, um, that's still like not my grand, I think grandfather, like last name, but there is a... My great grandmother's father's last name was Kaysen, which is Scott Irish. Oh, okay. Um, All right. Yeah. But basically, we have Scott Irish ancestry. I, I'm Scottish and Irish in my ancestry as well. And like, there's certain things like if I, I can have pasta like once in a while, but if I have it mm-hmm. two days in a row, I'm going to yeah. be fucked up. Like, it's no, it's, it's yeah, right. It's terrible. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I found out about that because not only after I found out that I was gluten intolerant, but my mom's twin, my aunt, also found out that she's gluten intolerant as well. So, yeah, we're the two gluten intolerant ones. I believe my mom is, but I think she's in denial. But And I think that there's levels of it, too, because I know that my dad has a funny thing with starches and stuff, but he doesn't really recognize. And also, he's so used to eating breads and and all that yeah, kind of stuff. I think other people were able to just like, <laughs> you know, blasted right through it. But like, I'm yeah. sure there was like a lot of other symptoms that they just like ignored. Yeah, uh, no, totally. And also like, and also like you think about like, you know, like you see on Mad Men or other shows like back then, you're like, wow, the smoking and the boozing was wow. Mm-hmm. Or I was talking to my mom about anxiety stuff. You know, they didn't know from that back then. It was yeah. like, oh, she's yeah. high strung. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Or she gets really uptight. And that was more yeah. of a sort of a character judgment instead of um, something that maybe be chemical going on. Yeah, a symptom. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. Right. Something we can maybe help relieve. <laughs> yeah. Um, oh, and you know, so, yeah. I-, I wanted to ask you actually about medication uh, yeah. too, because I've read in an interview that either you were not on medication or you had an interesting take on medication. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm not medicated right now, but that's because... Basically, I'm completely sober, and like that's oh. what's been working right now. I had to basically give up all my vices, including cigarettes. And that's impressive too, because cigarettes are not an easy one with any kind yeah. of um, mental situation, right? Because yeah. there's something about nicotine specifically that sort of smooths over the the bumps or, or papers over yeah. the cracks. Like I have ADD. Yeah. The doctor once said to my mom, "Well, I hope he never smokes because he'll never quit." You know, because yeah. they said about nicotine, it's kind of like dirty Adderall or Ritalin or whatever. Mm-hmm. When did you see smoking? Um, last August. So, wow. actually, when I released the single for running, August 27th was the year anniversary. So, that's the last time I had a cigarette. And then I just had, on October 2nd, had the year anniversary since the last time I had marijuana. Wow. Um, so I have like no vices right now and it's been, it's hard and it's not lit. Um, I still drink. I never had a problem with drinking. Um, so I still drink here and there, but, um, but even then I don't drink a lot, like on my own because like, I don't like 
being drunk on my own and <laughs> yeah. all the time alone, you know, in quarantine. Yeah. And it could be easy to slip into habits. True, but I'm more I'm more of a I'm more of a habitual like binge eater than alcohol. Alcohol just like I have the most healthiest relationship with alcohol, which just kind of sounds insane, but like <laughs> I yeah, I, it's it's never been that way with alcohol. Um so yeah, I have like basically no basis now, but my mental health has been probably the best it's ever been. Sure. Um which has been great. Um but yeah, I mean I always had problems with every medication that I've tried. I'm not completely against medication. Sure. Um, but yeah, like the last, like last year, I had a medication that did me super wrong. Like I went mm-hmm. to my um, psychiatrist, was like, Miss Mans, <laughs> this is this is a problem we need to, <laughs> to discuss. Um, yeah. So yeah, as of right now, we we're finding being sober is the best right now, but sure. also. You know, I've been, I really haven't, I haven't really been tested as I am normally in the world. So we shall see after, you know, quarantine kind of lifts a little bit more. Yeah. If I will need medication eventually. Sure. Um, And it's also one of the things, right, where it's never one thing for the rest of your life. And yeah. it, for and from my understanding, bipolar especially is a kind of thing where it morphs and changes and sure, yeah, new fun so. surprises all the time. That's what yeah. the ad pitches. <laughs> yeah, yeah, just quirky. Yeah, <laughs> you never know what's coming around the corner with bipolar. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, seriously, like you can like find a medication that works for you and it's lit, and then one day the medication will just be like, "Lol, Jk, never mind, <laughs> we're done here. I'm sorry." Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah our our job, our work is done here. Uh, <laughs> To new, onto a new prescription. Yeah, um, yeah. So, yeah. So that's a whole process, and that can be scary too. I imagine too, when something either doesn't work, and also uh, from my understanding, uh, most bipolar medications like it, they take a while to sort of take effect. They take a while to take effect. Yeah. And, um, and then yeah, and then you you know when you're trying to find the right one, you often kind of feel like a, a test rabbit. You know. Sure, and it can be frustrating because even in my thing recently with the Adderall difficulty, uh, the Adderall shortage, etc. Uh, it's like, you know, when you're on the phone all the time or for hours trying to find something or it, it, it can be debilitating. But um, so I understand that 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 sensation. But um, but so I'm really happy that you're in a, a good spot with that. I'm happy, too. Oh, my God. Yeah. Are you kidding me? Especially when these times. <laughs> <laughs> no, I know. It's like we don't need anything else. Please. No, yeah. no, no, no. Yeah. Oh, you know what? I forgot to do my intro for you. Are you ready for a taste of Philadelphia freedom? Oh, then, dear listeners, you're in for some Vegas luck, because on this episode, we have a singer, producer, songwriter, actor, chef, comedian, producer, filmmaker, and fellow fan of The Who. Oh, that's right. It's time to put your hands together and join me in bestowing a comprehensive, hello, how are you, to none other than the one, the only, the Shamir. <laughs> Well, I had such a wonderful time chatting with you. Same. Uh, hopefully, we'll do it again sometime. And is there any, is there anything else that you'd like to say before we close out? Stream Shamir by Shamir. Um, That's the message. And and, uh, and also, you check out my other artists on Accidental Pop Star. Love them to death. Um, and uh, yeah, that's basically it. That's all. That's all that's going on with me.